For we are opposed around the world by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy that relies primarily on covet means for expanding its sphere of influence, on infiltration instead of invasion, on subversion instead of elections, on intimidation instead of free choice, on guerrillas by night instead of armies by day. It is a system which has conscripted vast human and material resources into the building of a tightly knit, highly efficient machine that combines military, diplomatic, intelligence, economic, scientific, and political operations. Its preparations are concealed, not published. Its mistakes are buried, not headlined. Its dissenters are silenced, not praised. Yesterday, didn't give you guys any explanation, so my apologies. That's on me. But uh, we're going to get it together one way or another. We may even have to swap some times up this week for those of you that listen live. I got all kinds of crap to do. Trying to line up guests. These guests don't like to do shows in the morning. For whatever reason. But nonetheless, we'll get it together one way or another. A lot happening over the weekend, as most of you guys know. We left you on... Did we do a show Friday? I think we did. Anyway, whatever the last show we did was the day that... Jesse Smollett was uh, arrested and released and all that jazz... Chicago police came out and gave that speech. We played all that for you. Uh, There's nothing really new on that front because there's so many other things going on. The the president just uh, landed not long ago in Hanoi, Vietnam, and he is conducting his second summit with Kim Jong-un, which is very exciting. He actually tweeted about it uh, Uh, About an hour ago, he said, just arrived in Vietnam. Thank you to all of the people for a great reception in Hanoi. Tremendous crowds and so much love. And that seems to be an accurate portrayal of what happened when he got there because all all the news reports said uh, there's a lot of people in Vietnam that are excited about this summit, excited to host it. 
because they feel like they are the city of peace. The city of peace. And they want to be able to uh, hang their hat, I guess, on being the place that uh, denuclearization happened or something. I don't know. I, I, I don't know that we necessarily need to expect anything to uh, ultimately come from this in the sense of complete denuclearization, because as we know, it's going to be a process. But interesting to or, or interested to see what happens how this whole thing turns out we've uh we've got that going on if anything happens or there's any kind of news conferences i don't really expect there to be at least while we're we're live here but if there is we'll bring that to you also this week you've got a bernie sanders town hall you've got the new green deal running amok you've got uh uh Diane Feinstein having a standoff with school children on Capitol Hill. It's been it's been one thing after another. Oh, and new accusations against the president. You know, the racist president that hates black and brown people. Apparently now he has kissed a black woman from Alabama against her will. So we'll get into all that. It's gonna be exciting. Exciting, exciting stuff. Um, off the top, we'll go the route of let's uh, let's go with the new Green Deal, and then I'll move on to Bernie Sanders and in, in his town hall because it all kind of coincides. Even though I, I think the the Bernie Sanders stuff is obviously more of a threat than Alexandria Ocasio Cortez and anything she puts up because she is nothing more than a a freshman congresswoman. So there's only so much she can do. But if Bernie, who is running for president, actually reaches his goal, then there could be lots of damage done to this country. Uh, but Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is losing support within her party at a rapid pace. Yes, she still has support for her new Green Deal, but things are really falling apart for a majority of the Democratic Party. As you know, the Republicans are all for taking this thing to the floor for a vote because they want the American people to see exactly what's in this thing, which is a genius idea, and it's right out of Trump's playbook. So you gotta con- you got to commend McConnell for that, uh, even though he's uh, not— quick on his feet most days. I think that was a good call. So props to him. But we've even got people like Terry McAuliffe coming out and saying that the the Green New Deal is unrealistic. And it's absurd. It's acidite. And it's really four times, it would cost four times what our national debt currently sits at. Which, you know, people proclaim to be a problem. So you can't claim that the national debt's a problem, but also promote the new Green Deal that would quadruple, uh, more than quadruple, the national debt. $93 trillion. That's a whole lot of money. (laughs) That is a whole lot of money. And I was watching uh, Ocasio-Cortez on uh, Instagram, and she was going on and on about uh, how how important it is, and she's back on her horse of 
how we're all going to die in 10 years if we don't do something and how urgent this is. All the while, she's in her kitchen and she's doing all this normal stuff. She's pulling the Elizabeth Warren. She's doing all this normal stuff like cooking and cutting vegetables and, uh, you know, just being a normal person that's legitimately concerned about the safety of the people and legitimately concerned about making sure this this planet is we're, we're able to live on this planet in 10 to 15 years. She's literally freaked out. Here's here's the audio from her Instagram and I guess this was maybe I think she posted this on Sunday or something. Here you go. We're screwed. I'm fine. Like I'm sorry to break it to you. If we do nothing, there is no hope, period. When it comes to climate in particular, we're actually screwed. There is a global threat to the planet, a global threat. And at this point, we don't even have to prove it. Just walk outside in winter in a lot of places and it's either way worse than you're used to or way warmer than you're used to. Hurricanes, storms, wildfires. We are dying now. There's The proof of global warming and climate change is just from what it feels like outside. That's her proof. Just go see what it feels like outside. That shows you that it's real. Scientific consensus that the lives of children are going to be very difficult. And it does lead, I think, young people to have a legitimate question, you know, should, is it okay to still have children? This idea. <laughs> She's like, y'all need to be asking yourself, do you really want to be reproducing? Because, um, you know, they're just going to die on this, this giant fireball of a planet when global warming takes over, or they're going to drown by the rising sea levels that are flooding their living rooms. Listen, Democrats, I don't know why they hate babies so much, why they hate children so much, but they are pushing so hard to to rid this planet of children. They want to kill them before they're born. They want to kill them after they're born. Now they just want to say, can y'all just stop having babies? Can y'all just stop it, please? You little snot-nosed brats, just quit having kids. You know why they don't like kids? Because kids can't vote. Kids don't have voting rights. That's why they don't like kids. That if we just, you know, I've been working on this for X amount of years, um, it's like not good enough. Like we need. I okay, let me stop it right here. I got to go back because this is where she is. Uh, she's referring to Diane Feinstein. And I'll have to, I should have played you that audio first, but I'll go back and play it. Uh, she is approached on Capitol Hill at her offices by a group of school children and then, uh, like, uh, a couple of teenagers that are, like, 16 or 17, right? I don't know if they're chaperones or, or whatever. Um, but they confront her, and, and they're basically demanding that she vote in favor of the Green New Deal because our planet is, is dying, and, and we're on the verge of death. You have to save us, Diane Feinstein, please. And she just shoots them down. Smacks him around like a bunch of jabronis. And uh, Ocasio-Cortez apparently not happy with that. Because one of one of Di-Fi's comments 
happened to be she said that I've been doing this for 20 or 30 years. She goes, I know what I'm doing, and I know a bad deal when I see it, and this is a bad deal. So this is Ocasio-Cortez referring to that comment in particular. This idea that if we just, you know, I've been working on this for X amount of years, um, it's like not good enough. Like we need a universal sense of urgency, and people are trying to like introduce watered down proposals that are frankly going to kill us. A lack of urgency is going to kill us. I know some of y'all, y'all get upset with social media and you think it's just a burden on society and it causes drama and all this, this and that. But it's times like these where you really have to appreciate social media and appreciate when when people like Ocasio-Cortez get elected, that you can just get a sneak peek into their life and and see if they seriously believe the stuff that they're saying. Like, you just want to catch her while she's at home preparing, you know, doing her meal prep or for the week or whatever, and see if she actually believes that stuff. We have that opportunity with Facebook Live and Instagram Live. Uh... And she actually believes this stuff. It's crazy. It, she is completely freaked out. And you know who's at fault for that. It, it's, not, it's not necessarily the left. It's not necessarily the Democratic Party. I guess ultimately it is. But the direct culprit of that kind of thinking from young people, and she's in that group, is our education system. Is the education system in this country where we've allowed people to be indoctrinated. And you can hear, you can hear in, in the, uh, the voices of these children, the robotic voices of these children that, that confronted Dianne Feinstein, these kids that know nothing, that have not lived life, that don't know anything outside of playing with their friends on the weekend and doing homework. They're repeating the talking points that they've heard from their parents, from their teachers, from the TV, whatever. It's the indoctrination in our school systems, in our education system. Let me see if I can find you that audio of Dianne Feinstein being confronted by these kids. It was so good. So good. And I don't agree with Dianne Feinstein on much of anything at all. But she does have a point when she says, I've been doing this for 30 years, and I know when I see bad legislation, I see bad proposals, I know it. I don't have to have a bunch of snot-nosed kids telling me what I should and shouldn't do. It was so good. Now, here is her. I hope this is the, the portion of the audio that I need. This is where she initially walks down the hallway to uh, meet the kids as well as these 16-year-old girls who are chaperones. I mean, they're obviously not school teachers. They're not old enough, but um, this is the beginning of it. And so she walks around the corner, and the kids immediately start speaking to her. Listen to this. Hello. Hi, everybody. Hi. Hello. Oh, tell me where you're from. Uh, well, we're from all, all over. Bay. Bay. Yeah. Okay. All right, and tell me what you're doing here. 
are trying to ask you to vote yes on the Green New Deal. Oh, okay, I'll tell you what. We have our own Green New Deal piece of legislation. Why don't you call back, see if they can fax one out, make a copy for each person. Well, we're trying okay. to... We're trying to... Let's get the... <laughs> Let's get these kids the uh, the actual documents of the new proposed climate change deal and allow these kids to read it. I'm sure they'll be on top of that ASAP. Promote the Green New Deal. Well, there are reasons why I can't, because there's no way to pay for it. Yes, there is. Well, that's, we have that's tons of money, money going to the military. Half of our, a lot of ours is going to the military. Well, I I understand that. This uh, This kid, this kid who is... Six, seven, eight years old is telling Diane Feinstein, we do have the money. It all goes to the military. <laughs> this is crazy. This is scary. I'm laughing at it, but it's scary. The United States government does a lot of things with the money, and they're important things. And you just can't go in and say, okay, we're going to take hundreds of millions from here and hundreds of millions from there. It doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. But of course our But you can have, I don't agree with what that resolution says. That's part of it. And we have done our, can you get a copy of the resolution? Senator, we need a plan that. And let me just finish. I will give you a copy of what we. Shut up, kid. Do support. And you can take a look at it. And if you've got a problem with it, you can let me know. But I think it has a much better chance of passing than what this is, because there is no way to pay for what it gets done. So nothing will happen. So you you be the judge. You take a look at it. We're going to get you But we have come to a point where our earth is dying, literally. And it is going to be a pricey and ambitious plan that is needed to deal with the magnitude of that issue and so we're here asking you to vote yes on the resolution for the green new deal because that is the only that resolution that will not pass the senate and you can take that back to whoever sent you here Why and tell them because it doesn't have a single republican vote and the republicans control the united states senate <laughs> But I don't understand. What do you mean it doesn't have the vote? These people don't know how Congress works. They don't know how legislation works. They, they don't know anything. They think they can just go in there and make Diane Feinstein feel all warm and fuzzy inside. Then all of a sudden the Green New Deal gets passed. Because they're clueless. And the 16-year-old girl, like, uh, our planet is dying, like, literally. We have to be ambitious, and it's going to be expensive, but we have to do it. I wish I could take some of these snot-nosed brats and stick them in a time machine and just send them off 10 years into the future in an alternate universe where the Green New Deal actually passed and let them live life for a couple months. They wouldn't survive. They, they would be begging to come back. Why? Because the people that the Green New Deal would affect the most is middle-class Americans, and especially poor Americans. What you'll be doing with the Green New Deal, much like regulations in this country, 
environmental regulations or whatever else, you run off industries. You send jobs overseas. They run away because they can't make any money or their industry is drying up because instead of producing coal or running steel mills, everybody's supposed to learn how to code and, and, and build solar panels, which is not how this country works. Then, on the other end, for the people that aren't affected through their job, then come to the realization that their power bills and their energy bills have skyrocketed because they can no longer use this affordable natural energy. They can no, lo no longer use this, these affordable fossil fuels because a few people are scared that the planet is going to be destroyed in 10 years. You're having to, in order to keep your lights on and in, in order to, to uh, drive your car or do anything else, you're having to use all this fancy new technology that costs an arm and a leg. And who's affected by that? It's much like putting taxes on... Uh, let's do this. It's, it's the same argument that people say we don't need a lottery in certain states, in Alabama in particular, because the people it hurts are the poor people, the people that don't have any money with a pipe dream of hitting the lottery. They go spend all their money on lottery tickets. They don't win, and then they have no money. So the lottery affects poor people. Putting taxes on cigarettes and, and booze. Uh, how about payday loan places? In the, in, in the poorer communities, you see 20 payday loan places with extremely high interest that people get trapped and can't get out of. It's things like that that directly affect the poorest among us and even the middle class, that's the exact same domino effect that this Green New Deal or any sort of climate change regulation that would dramatically shift how we power our homes would go. And it's not just the energy prices. Think about this. If, if your power bill each month is $250 now, because you're running your heat or you're running your air, you got the lights on, you whatever. Everything you need to function costs you $250 a month. Then all of a sudden, that affordable, well, somewhat affordable way of, of powering your home is no longer available. And the only option is to buy solar panels or use some sort of new... Uh, technological way of powering your home that's the only thing that's available and it costs you five times what you were paying how is that going to affect you it's going to hurt and you're going to have to cut some corners right so maybe you start buying off-brand groceries you start driving less you stop going to the movies going out to eat whatever only to realize when you get to the grocery store or you go to the movies, or you go do whatever, the prices of everything else at the brick-and-mortar stores have skyrocketed because they're having to use the same method of powering their, their buildings, their businesses. 
And when their power bill skyrockets, when their energy bills skyrocket, they're not going to just take the loss. They're going to slap that extra cost onto their products, onto their services, and then you, the consumer, will suffer. So with a Green New Deal, with with a freak out about climate change and, and going, going unreasonable routes, trying to, quote-unquote, save the planet, is only going to wreck this economy in ways that we've never seen in our lifetime. It's going to wreck this economy in dramatic ways that who's to say we could ever even recover from? And it's simple economics. I'm not a smart guy. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a well-educated dude. There's no doubt about it. Most of y'all know that. But this stuff is so simple. It is so simple. You don't have to be a business owner. You don't have to be an economist to understand how this works. You run jobs off. You create jobs that a lot of Americans aren't even equipped to do. Then you raise the price of everything. That's a recipe for disaster. That's not going to vote well for anybody. And Dianne Feinstein knows that. And she's still got some extreme views on this stuff. She still, I'm sure, is going to come out with some goofy climate change legislation that would still hurt the American economy because there's really no way around it. But AOC's deal, the Green New Deal, would absolutely destroy this country and destroy the economy. And really, if you destroy the economy, you destroy the country. That's what this country's built on, is the free market. It's capitalism. It's the human spirit that is injected into society when people have the freedom to go out and do great things. When they have the freedom to create things, to be entrepreneurs, to to work inside of corporations and work their way up because they desire being successful. That's what that's what our current system has gotten us. And yet we have people that want to change it. They want to transform it. Bernie Sanders, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, whoever. They want to change it. All because of something that doesn't even really exist. And that is climate change. Do you realize 13 years ago, 13 years ago, Al Gore said that in 10 years from then, that the earth will cease to exist because of uh, global warming. We're still here. And we're not even close to ceasing to exist, by the way. America, the United States of America, has made drastic strides in cleaning up their own pollution. And keep in mind, we've never been one of the one of the more one of the most notorious polluters on the planet we've always been somewhat conscious of it even to the days where soon after we industrialized this country 
We've always been conscious of it because common sense tells you when, you know, black smoke is billowing out of a Coke plant that it's probably not good. It just doesn't look good. When trash is covering the side of the road or uh, landfills are, 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 are sky high or trash is being dumped in the ocean, it's common sense that that's not good. So we, the innovators, the people that have the freedom in a capitalistic society and come up with ideas and create things, we came up with ideas to make sure we were cleaning up after ourselves. And we've done a pretty good freaking job to the point that there's not really another country that cleans up after themselves in, in the realm of pollution than we do. With the regulations we have, that the laws that we have that require companies and industries to not dump toxic waste into rivers or whatever, we've put that stuff into place to make sure we are not just completely polluting our homeland and surrounding oceans. So we're the guys that are being responsible. We're the ones that are taking care of ourselves. We're the ones that are doing the right thing. And, and I'm going to pretend for a moment that, that global warming and climate change is a real thing and a real threat. We're doing our part. Why are we still hammering ourselves, saying we're not doing enough when we are doing enough? We're doing our part. And in the meantime... China can barely hold the Olympics in Beijing because there's so much smog. In Middle Eastern countries, in, in the coastal countries, in places like India or Bangladesh or wherever, the whole country looks like a cesspool because people just throw their garbage in the rivers, on the streets. They're the people that aren't doing their part. So why are you guys not talking to them? Because according to y'all, this is a planet thing. This is a planet thing. But none of these people you will hear, you will hear none of them mention other countries and what they are or are not doing. If they want to see real change and they want to stop this bizarre concept of climate change, you need to make your way over to China. You need to fly halfway across the world and talk to those people because if climate change is real, those are the guys that are speeding it up. Those are the guys that are perpetrating real climate change. But that's not what it's about. It's not about climate change. Do I believe some of these people actually believe in climate change? Yeah, I think most of them do. Especially Ocasio-Cortez. She's freaked herself so bad. She's going to lose her mind. She actually thinks that we're all going to die. As far as the rest of them that actually have a head on their shoulders, I don't know that they believe it. But they know that the concept gives them the opportunity to gain more power over the American people, to force the American people to be more reliable on the government. 
because they don't want solutions to combat climate change that are uh, uh, American people driven, that are citizen driven, free market driven. They want solutions that the government comes up with, that the government controls. It's all about power, it's all about control, and it's all about ultimately socialism. We'll talk about Bernie Sanders and his town hall on the other side. Don't go anywhere. to get the word out and help grow your business hey it's andrew from over the line the podcast we are looking to partner with brand new business owners to help grow their business and get the word out to our listeners so we can link them up with the best businesses around they spend their hard-earned money on these products on these services and we want to make sure we get them teamed up with the right people if you're interested in teaming up with this podcast and letting people know about your business contact me andrew at over the line show.com that's andrew at over the line show.com shortcut to quick bucks working all the time renting out your mind and saving every time because in 10 of those combined they cross the sacred line
Show.com. Kim Jong-un, real quick. I'm thinking about this because during that break, we played that parody. And we've played a hundred times, but it's funny. I saw a report from Reuters. Reuters, excuse me. You call it Reuters. I got in trouble for that one day. Reuters. That Kim Jong-un allegedly said that he does not want his children to bear the the responsibility of, of nuclear weapons or bear the, I can't remember what he called it. Let me look at this report. I don't want my children to bear the burden of nuclear arms. And he told the U.S. Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, he did not want his children to live with the burden of nuclear weapons. Uh, he made the comments in a personal conversation to Mike Pompeo during the visit in Pyongyang in April of last year to lay the groundwork for the first historic summit. And apparently uh, that, just, uh, that just came out. He said, I'm a father and a husband and I have children. Andrew Kim quoted uh, Kim Jong-un as telling Pompeo when asked whether or not he was willing to end his nuclear program. He said, and I don't want my children to carry the nuclear weapon on their back their whole life. That was his answer. So those are some interesting comments that were not just recently made, but in April of last year, almost a year ago, when the 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 first summit was being set up is he sincere in those comments we don't know we know he's crazy at least if he's not full-blown crazy he's at least partially crazy because it's going to be in his genes paranoia is what drives most of this but even in a place like north korea as time goes on Things change. Generations are always a little different than the generation that birthed them, right? And we we obviously see that. We've gone from a society of hardworking men and women to a bunch of snowflakes. But you know, you know what I'm saying, though. The 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 generations change. Each generation changes. Okay. So where back in the day. For the supreme leader, the eternal supreme leader, passes it on to his kid. His kid's just paranoid and, and whacked out like them. Then you get another generation that comes up that sees the way their dad acts, but maybe thinks, you know what? Maybe it doesn't have to be this way. We're in 2019, and even though North Korea is well behind the times, we know that Kim Jong-un likes modern things. He's just a little bit behind us here in America. Like he's still fascinated with the Chicago Bulls of the 1990s. That's why, that's why he loves Dennis Rodman so much. But things that are a little more recent by North Korea standards... 
He's into those kind of things, and he sees those things, and he says to himself, you know, I, I kind of want that for, for my country. I have these people uh, beaten down into submission, yes, but I also wouldn't mind being the guy that gave them a better life by giving up on the paranoia, having sanctions lifted, and allowing these people to progress into the modern century. Because that's that's what this is all about. A lot of people say that Kim Jong-un is just playing a game so he can't get sanctions lifted, but still keep his nuclear weapons, and they may be right. They also may be wrong. The genius of where these summits are set up are, 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 are brilliant, in my opinion. We know Singapore was the first one, and Singapore was beautiful. We all saw the, uh, the, the, the newscasts that were all broadcasting there and, and, and showing Singapore and all that kind of stuff and, and doing all of the touristy stuff that you know we got to see from our living rooms, from our TVs. Now they're doing that in Hanoi, Vietnam. And the beauty and the genius of holding this in Hanoi, Vietnam, is the fact that this city is growing at a pretty fast pace economically as well. And it's a way to show Kim Jong-un, this could be your country. You see these guys. The economy is booming. They've decided to do what's right by their people. And look. Their economy grows every year consistently, 7 to 10%. So for even the things that are unsaid during these summits, there are things that speak volumes with something as simple as where the summit is held. And I'm sure Donald Trump in their meetings will say something about it. He'll say something along the lines of, this could be you guys. You like this? You, you like what you see? You like Vietnam? This could be North Korea. It's genius. It's absolutely genius. All the while, Donald Trump continues to be painted as Hitler. As he literally makes uh, tremendous strides in achieving world peace. There was always the joke, as you know. If Trump cured cancer. People would be mad that the, t Trump is putting doctors out of business or whatever. He's literally attempting to achieve world peace, and people are still mad, okay? So that's, that's not even a joke. That's, that's a real thing. Another thing to note in, uh, in the world of dictators and supreme leaders, I guess you could say, things that aren't so nice, is over in Venezuela. In Venezuela, um, Univision, which you guys know is a U.S.-based Spanish-Hispanic channel, right? They do Hispanic news, programming, all that kind of stuff. And, and their most known anchor is George Ramos. We recall George Ramos being obnoxious and... Um, saying things to the president in press conferences and at one point getting kicked out because he wouldn't shut up and he wouldn't let the president answer the question. 
Uh, he's compared Trump to dictator, so on and so forth. Uh, he has actually been detained in Venezuela by Maduro. He was apparently conducting some sort of interview and asking him questions, and um, they detained him and his TV crew, confiscated all of their uh, all of their equipment, and basically threw him in jail. Which, listen, I, I don't wish that on anybody. That's got to be an absolutely terrifying situation, even for a jerk like George Ramos. But the irony of calling Trump a dictator for so many years, right? Only to actually go meet a real dictator and have that dictator throw you in jail simply for asking questions. <laughs> the guy, the guy that you claim is suppressing the freedom of the press, that is literally putting the media in danger turned out to be the last guy that was actually suppressing your freedom of the press. Now, Ramos was freed from jail in Venezuela, and he revealed, and I think Hannity played this last night, uh, he posted on the Facebook page of his web program, Real American with George Ramos. <laughs> Real American. Uh, he said he was released just after two hours. Said Maduro was upset with the questions about fraudulent elections, harassment, and violence against peaceful protesters. He was also asked whether his title should really be dictator. Listen, George Ramos, you got to give this to him. It's a, uh, it's a little brave. It's brave to just go up in Venezuela and say those things to a guy who is shown to be violent against his own people. <laughs> what do you think he's going to do to you? Here's that Facebook post from uh, George Ramos on his Real American George Ramos Facebook page, if you want to hear it. This is, uh, this is after they were released from a cell in Venezuela. So it is... Monday night, we are already at the hotel in um, Caracas, Venezuela. And what happened is that I conducted an interview with uh, Nicolás Maduro. I asked him um, if I can call him either a president or a dictator, because as you know, millions of Venezuelans don't consider him a president. Then we um, discussed the fraud that happened here in May 2018, also the reports of torture and human rights abuses and political prisoners. And at the end, I showed him a video that I personally took last Sunday of um, three kids behind a trash truck looking for food. And he just couldn't stand it. He didn't want to continue the interview. He tried to close my iPad where I showed him the video. And then he said the interview was over. It was about 17 minutes of interview. After that, their Minister of Communications, um, Jorge Rodriguez, told us that they didn't authorize 
the interview and they confiscated all our cameras, four cameras, all our video, uh, all our cell phones, and we were thrown out of the presidential palace. But before I left the palace, they took me into a security room with producer Maria Guzman, and they asked for our cell phones. And I didn't want to give them my cell phone, so they turned off the light of the room, and a group of uh, agents came in. They took forcefully my backpack, uh, my cell phone. Uh, they did the same thing with, with Maria's, and they forced us to give them uh, our passcodes for the cell phones. I, we didn't know what was going to happen to us back then, uh, nor what was happening with the rest of the group. We were a group of seven journalists. And after two hours of being detained, because we couldn't leave the palace, two hours of being detained, they allow us to, to leave the presidential palace. They didn't give us uh, our equipment, uh, nor our material. Uh, and still at this point, we don't have a cell phone uh, or the interviews. I think we'll never have that interview again. They don't want the world to see uh, what we did. Mm. That's brutal. You know, it's ironic. And that, that legitimately has to be scary. That's got to be scary stuff. But really, saying that they would have detained George and his crew, and they would have kept them there. George Ramos would have needed the guy that he has been calling a dictator and lambasting for so long. He would need him then more than ever. He would be begging the president to intervene and demand the release of these journalists. Journalist, air quotes. And again, ironically, Donald Trump would have done that. He would have demanded the release of George Ramos. Now, he would have probably made fun of George Ramos for uh, hating him so much, but then needing him in his darkest hour. But you know the president would have certainly gotten those people back. I mean, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but Trump is pretty good at getting prisoners back that have been detained in other countries. We just got one back from Yemen that had been imprisoned. He was married to a uh, Yemeni woman, I guess had his children over there. He was taking one of his kids to school and was detained and thrown in prison. And they have now secured his release. And he is back in this country. Because Donald Trump is just good at getting those people back. And he would have done the same thing for George Ramos, even though there's nobody George Ramos hates more than one Donald Trump. It should be a very eye-opening experience. I doubt it will be, but it should be an eye-opening experience, not just for George Ramos, but for the media as a whole. To be able to say, you know what? 
because they think real highly of themselves. And, and much like Democrats, where they think everything revolves around the government, journalists thinks they think everything revolves around them. They think very highly of themselves. But they should look at this and say to themselves, you know what? Maybe our freedom of the press isn't being suppressed in this country. Because now we see a real example of what having your freedom of the press suppressed looks like. Having your freedom of the press taken away, we now see what it looks like. You conducted an interview with a, a president, an unofficial president, of a country that literally had agents forcefully take your cameras away, take your cell phone and your passport away. But we'll see. We'll see what his attitude is. We'll see what the next thing he says about Trump and the immoral wall. A lot going on on the wall front, too, and we will discuss that here in a moment. Let me first tell you about Nick the Marketer at nickthemarketer.com, 205-610-9550. is the number. Nick, as you know, I talk about him all the time on this podcast. He and his team are absolutely the best at putting your digital footprint for your business for your product, for your services, where it needs to be. Whether you're doing something as simple as selling dietary supplements, you're selling CBD oil, or you've got a larger business with multiple locations, and you want to make sure your website is top-notch to where people can easily navigate it and get what they need and be able to track who goes to your website who's seeing it, and who actually contacts you or purchases things from you because of your website, Nick the Marketer is going to hook that up for you. You have the ability yourself as the business owner to track that stuff just like they do. They have their very own software that is so awesome, gives you the ability to anytime go and look at who is clicking on your website, where they're from, what they're getting. It's absolutely amazing, these guys are second to none. NickTheMarketer.com. Again, 205-610-9550. 205-610-9550. Make sure y'all hit this dude up. When, uh, when we get back, I want to go to the Bernie Sanders stuff, okay? And I kind of got off track. I meant to do that, but AOC got me thrown off. He held this town hall, and he talked about all the things he wants to do as president. Now, Bernie has taken a bit of a different approach than he did when he ran in 2016, which personally for me, I think is a bad idea because you guys remember the momentum he had in 2016. He was really the rightful winner of that Democrat nomination. But he got bamboozled. Crazy Bernie got bamboozled. But instead of taking that same route, he has decided to come out swinging and try to beat Trump at his own game before he even wins the primary. 
If you're going to use that strategy, fair enough, but you may want to wait until you're actually running against Trump. Democrats continue their scare tactics. We will see where that gets them. Over the line, overthelineshow.com. We'll be back right after this. CNN. CNN's got this weird habit of only holding town halls for Democrats. I don't know. I don't know why they do that, being a fair and balanced news site. Um, you know. Remember the uh, the banana and apple commercial they did? This is CNN. Uh, but Bernie Sanders, I, I want to play just a couple of clips from his town hall. And let you guys get a feel of where he stands. Now, when I listen to this stuff, I didn't watch it live. I've just watched pieces of it over the past few days. And and actually, I'm just going to throw some random pieces at you because I don't have this in any sort of order. Um, it was just... Um, was a little strange to see him, somebody who I thought had it together and and had a had a plan as to what he was going to be doing be so lost on questions of simple things like how are you going to pay for that how are how are you going to implement it what's it going to look like and he really didn't have answers for a lot of this stuff this one in particular 
he um, talks about, and this goes to his tactic that I that I think is kind of a bad move. He's going on the the offensive and attacking Donald Trump, and he talks about how the American people should be embarrassed that Donald Trump is our president. In a planet that is healthy and habitable. And it is, it is really a disgrace and an embarrassment that we have a president who rejects science, who does not even understand that climate change is real and caused by activity, who does not understand what this planet will look like in years to come if we do not go forward boldly and transform our energy system away from fossil fuels. Now, Bernie Sanders will most certainly be on the side of things like the Green New Deal. There is no doubt in my mind. And if AOC, who probably will still be in Congress, is is in fact there when Bernie Sanders is, is in office, that will have the support of the president. Then you've got Bernie Sanders refusing to guarantee that the United States would not become a socialist country if he is elected. I think Wolf Blitzer asked him the question of, Donald Trump said in the State of the Union speech, America will never be a socialist country. We see what's going on in Venezuela and all that kind of stuff. Can you assure us that you won't turn America into a socialist country. Here's what he said. Senator, uh, President Trump said in a State of the Union address, and I'm quoting him now, America, Please clap. this is the president, America will never be a socialist country. Will that hold true if you're elected president? If I am elected president, we will have a nation in which all people have health care as a right, whether Trump likes it or not. We are going to make public colleges and universities tuition free. We are going to raise the minimum wage to uh, to a living wage of at least 15 bucks an hour. And whether Trump likes it or not, when I talk about human rights, you know what that also means? It means that our kids and grandchildren have the human right to grow up in a planet that is healthy and habitable. I don't think that's and right. it is it is really a disgrace and an embarrassment that we have a president who rejects science, who does not even understand that. Climate- OK, then he goes into that whole thing again. Um, Bernie Sanders, his thing is he's just really confused about what rights are or what rights you have as an American citizen. He seems to just make them up as he goes. If it's something he wants to implement, or something he thinks you should have, it all of a sudden is a right. Like, doesn't matter what the Constitution says, doesn't, does, it, nothing matters. Nothing in, in the past, uh, the history of this country, none of that matters. Bernie Sanders says it's a right. So that's what makes it a right. Then he goes on to... Uh, confirm his Medicare for All proposal and saying that it's going to eliminate private insurance plans, okay? That it's going to be a single-payer system. Now, there's one where he is asked by, uh, he's asked about the Medicare for All by a, a member of the audience who says, can, can you tell us, like, how this is going to work, how you're going to pay for it? 
And I, actually, I'll see if I can get that audio and play it for you. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, but here is Bernie Sanders talking about uh, the Medicare for all and private insurance companies. Senator, let's uh, talk a little bit about uh, uh, Medicare for all, because about half of Americans, as you know, they're insured by their employer right. plans. According to a recent Gallup poll, 70 percent of these people with private health insurance, their plans, they like their plans. They think their plans are good. Will these people be able to keep their health insurance plans, their private plans, no. through their no, that, that, that old gag. employers if there is a Medicare for all program that you endorse? What, they will, what will change in their plans is the color of their card. So instead of having a Blue Cross Blue Shield card, instead of having a United Health Insurance card, they're going to have a Medicare card. That Medicare card will allow them both to go to any doctor that they want. If they go into the doctor, they're happy. Any hospital they want. But you know what else? They're not going to be paying any private insurance premiums. If they are seniors, we are going to expand Medicare benefits to cover dental care, which is not covered for seniors, hearing aids, and eyeglasses. There will be comprehensive health care. People can go to any doctor, dentist, or a hospital they so want. So if they like their health insurance plan, they won't be able to keep their health insurance plan? Well, Nobody, this business of liking your health insurance plan, which, by the way, employers change every single year. People like their doctors. They like the hospitals. They like the care they're getting. Our bill, in fact, right now, if you are in a particular program, you may not be able to go to the doctor that you want. Our, our program will be you free. But if they choice. wanted to. <laughs> he won't answer the question. He's like, just to answer the question of if you like your doctor, you can keep your doctor. Listen, Wolf, the only thing that's going to change is the color of your card. <laughs> no. No, 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 no. That's not how it works. And it's it, the funniest part, the best part of this is the fact that they're getting out here and they're bashing the health care system where Obamacare is still the law of the land. So they're admitting they're admitting that the, the, the government forcing themselves onto the healthcare system is not working out whatsoever. It's not working. It's turning out very badly. But yet their solution to fix it is to do the exact same thing. Got it. Now here is the the, the audience member asking him about the expansion in healthcare, the Medicare for all, and, and what exactly that's going to consist of. Uh, can you make a simple persuasive case as to why socialism is preferable to capitalism? Okay, now that's not the question. Okay, I got the wrong clip, but this is still a good one. Listen to this. Why is socialism better than capitalism? Bernie Sanders, go! Democratic socialism, right? That's the wrong kind of socialism. Call it Democrat socialism. I'm trying to hide it. It's not real socialism. I think we lost Bernie. Let's uh, let's try this one more time. Uh, can you make a simple persuasive case as to why socialism is preferable to capitalism? Democratic socialism, right? Yes. Okay. Let's let me uh, tell you what I mean by that, so we're clear. Right now, we have a nation which prides itself on a lot of political rights. 
In other words, under the Constitution, thank God you have freedom of speech. Media can do its thing, even though Trump calls you an enemy of the people. How does that feel to be an enemy? That's another story. All right. <laughs> I won't question Wolf. Uh, you don't think we are, though? No, I don't. Okay. I certainly do not. Uh, so we have political right, freedom of religion. And all of that is enormously important. But you know what we don't have? We don't have guarantees regarding economic rights. And way back in 1944, in a little known, a little publicized State of the Union speech, Franklin Delano Roosevelt said something, and I'm paraphrasing him. But he said, you know, when we talk about human freedom and rights, we've got to understand that everybody needs a decent paying job, that people need health care, that people need education. And all over the world, these ideas are taking place. You go to countries in Scandinavia, of course, health care is a right. Higher education is free. They have strong uh, preschool uh, programs. They make sure that their elderly folks can retire in dignity. These are not radical ideas. So what democratic socialism means to me is having in a civilized society the understanding that we can make sure that all of our people live in security and in dignity. Health care is a human right. All people should have health care. You can't get ahead in this country, in this world, unless you have a decent education. We have got to, as a right, end the kinds of discrimination, the racism and the sexism and the homophobia that exist. So to me, when I talk about democratic socialism, what I talk about are human rights and economic rights. Senator, uh, President Trump. Those are human rights. Uh, he loves to go and compare us to places like Norway or Denmark, or in this case, Scandinavia. If you want to compare and contrast Scandinavia giving free health care and free higher education that it is controlled by the government. Because keep in mind, you know, the government will do a, a ditty where they say, okay, yeah, we are going to pay to make sure you guys can stay open and functioning and making money, uh, but you're going to have to teach these kids what we tell you to teach. It's going to be uh, climate change, and uh, make sure you keep these children freaked out over the fact that the world is ending. Also, on the healthcare front, they'll probably put a chip in you or something to make sure you're not doing anything unhealthy because, uh, you know, government wants to watch over you. Uh, Scandinavia, though, has the population of approximately um, Texas. Okay. So we're comparing Scandinavia giving uh, the state of Texas free healthcare and free higher education. Y'all know we got 50 more states. I'm sorry, 48. That was an Obama moment. Well, Y'all know we got 49 more states. <laughs> I can't do my math. Texas is one state, okay? Which is the population of Scandinavia. They got the same population, roundabout. But Bernie Sanders thinks the, the comparison is completely fair. Because we've got... How many people we got in this country? Like 300 and... 50 million or something like that, right? Hold on. Let me find out. 
U.S. population. 325 million people in this country. And that's probably not counting the illegals. Okay? He is comparing that, implementing a system for that many people, compared to a system that is already implemented for 5 million people. It's genius. Now, I wish I could find Bernie Sanders, Town Hall, Medicare for All, where he is asked the question, and he's like, there's three parts to the sensor. And he doesn't answer any of it. Never does he reference how he's going to pay for it. Well, I take that back. He did. And this is the part I want to find, but I don't guess I'm going to find it. He's asked how he's one, how he's going to pay for it. And he goes, we have the richest person in the world who runs Amazon. And over the past two years, Amazon has made $5 billion in profits each year. $5 billion in profits. And they have paid zero, zero tax. They've paid no taxes. So that's how we're going to get the money. We're going to take Jeff Bezos' $5 billion and we're going to pay for America. And nobody decides to speak up and say, but Mr. Sanders, $5 billion equals 1% of your proposal. So even if you take every single dime, every single bit of profit that Amazon made, you've paid for 1% of your proposal. They're not they're not even thinking straight. They they they're not even they're they're coming up with these proposals and they're not even assessing how to pay for it. They've yet to say how to pay for it. They throw out random things like oh, military got so much money. We'll just take some money from the military. They don't care. They don't they don't think about how to pay for these things and they don't care. And they know the American people don't care. At least the people that vote for them, they don't care how it's paid for because they don't understand once you get into the millions and the billions the concept of that much money does not even register with them. They assume that there is just an unlimited amount of money within the government, that there is no reason we shouldn't be able to pay for this stuff. Well, like, I pay taxes, uh, so I should be able to, like, get free stuff. Yeah? They don't get it. They don't get it. They don't understand basic economics. They don't understand how any of this works. If they, for one second, realize that something like the Green New Deal would make their gas bills, their power bills, uh, everything that they use on a daily basis, if they knew that would make their utilities skyrocket and make things, necessities, food, uh, toiletries, whatever, even your iPhone, if they knew that that deal or anything that these socialists are proposing would cause those prices to skyrocket, 
they would be completely against it. The problem is, is they're only listening to one side of the argument, so they never hear the part where everything else is going to skyrocket. And if Democrats are actually asked about it, they say, well, we will implement laws that force these people to sell these products at uh, a lower price. We'll make sure they can't raise the prices. Well, you know what happens then. Then they stop just making stuff. Or they'll leave the country. Because they're not going to produce goods for free. They're not going to sell you toilet paper and toothpaste if they're not going to make any money off of it. It's so simple. Yet, nobody gets it. Also, the Democrats are um, uh, voting in the House and I, this vote may have already happened, I'm not sure, uh, they're voting to void out the national emergency that Donald Trump declared on the southern border. Nancy Pelosi, I believe, was this morning speaking on it, talking about how dangerous... Because here's the thing. Actually, let me see if I can find this audio. I'll play it for you first. Nancy Pelosi... Uh, National emergency. I know I should have had all this stuff together, but who cares, right? Who cares? Let's see if we got a video of that, and we'll throw that at you. She was speaking with many Democrats standing behind her. Let's see. National. Oh, geez, y'all. Nancy Pelosi. National Emergency Vote. Let's see if that gives us something. And she basically said this is dangerous for the uh, for the for for the country and for them to allow Donald Trump to declare this national emergency. Maybe she's got it on her own Twitter. Let's see, Nancy Pelosi. Nancy. Uh, Democrats introduced the Voting Rights Advancement Act. That's not it. Uh, here we go. I don't know how long this is. Let me see. See if it tells me. I don't know. Let's check it out. Here she is speaking earlier today. The Constitution with begins with our beautiful We the People. The preamble to the Constitution, declaring our purpose. The words immediately following the preamble, Article 1, the legislative branch. The beauty of the Constitution, the heart and the soul of the Constitution, is a separation of power with co-equal branches of government to be a balance of power. To achieve that purpose, the founders were very visionary. Many beautiful things came, followed that, the Bill of Rights and the rest. Okay, I can't, I can't go through that. And I, I thought I could listen to it, I can't. Um, here is the problem that the Democrats face. And whether anybody actually confronts them and asks them this question or not, I don't know. I would say no, probably not. 
They won't talk to anybody that's not on their side. They won't talk to angel moms. They won't talk to veterans that are trying to collect the $1 Nancy Pelosi offered for the wall. Um, But the Democrats have gotten the bill that they wanted. Chuck Schumer, Nancy, everybody was out saying, Mr. President, you must sign this bill. It has bipartisan support. It's the right bill to protect our borders. So what happened? Donald Trump signed the bill. The Democrats got what they wanted. Now the president has declared a national emergency in order to get the rest of the money for the wall, right? But Democrats have consumed themselves. They're spending their time now on voting to block the national emergency. Why? They got what they wanted. What could the wall, what's what's the wall going to hurt is the question they need to be asked. What does the wall hurt? The only argument that they have left is the money that is being sent, I'm sorry, being spent on the wall, which is just two, three billion dollars that will be funneled through this this national emergency they're putting up this big fight simply over the money it's it's the only argument they have unless they just came out and were straight up honest and said no we actually want illegals to be able to flow into this country kill people and sell drugs to our children if they were honest that's what they would say but the only argument that they have at this point if they are against illegal immigration is the money The most wasteful spenders in government history are literally spending their time and energy where they could be doing so many things to advance the quality of life for the American people. They are spending all their time on trying to block this national emergency, and they have no excuse for why they're doing it. They have no reasoning for why they're doing it. They've already gotten what they wanted. So what are they fighting for? $3 billion? $3 billion, which is less than a tenth of a percent of the annual budget? This is all for political show. It's funny because they've spent all their time pointing the finger at Donald Trump and saying the only reason he's doing this is for political expediency, right? It was a campaign promise. He's got to do it to get reelected. Yet the only reason that they're spending all their time and energy on blocking that national emergency declaration is for the exact same thing they're accusing the president of. We know the real reasons they don't want the wall. But we need them to answer to us why, after getting what they wanted, they are fighting so hard against this wall. They could be propping up the new Green Deal right now. They could be combating climate change. They could be discussing with robotic school children in the halls of Congress about how the planet's going to cease to exist in 10 years. But no, they're spending all their time on blocking this national emergency declaration. And they have no reason for doing it. It's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. 
and it's not going to fly with the American people. They're saying it's done, Cuzzy. Get over it. And Republicans, some Republicans, are voting with them. I think uh, uh, Tom, uh, what's his name? I can't even remember, remember now. Senator Tom, da, 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 da. okay, his name's escaping me. Anyway, he's voting with the Democrats because he says, and this is what the Democrats are telling everybody else on the right and why they need to vote for it, trying to get them in the Senate, get enough Republican senators, 12 to be exact, to vote for this so they can have a veto-proof uh, block of this national emergency declaration. They're saying this sets an unfounded precedence that if the Democrats get in power, as Nancy Pelosi said, they'll, clear, they'll declare a national emergency on, on gun violence, on guns. If Donald Trump does this, he gives the next Democrat president the right to declare a national emergency for his pet project. But the problem is, is the statute is already there. Donald Trump is not opening the floodgates for anything by doing this. He's doing this under the guise of rules that are already in place. So whether or not he does this, the next Democrat president still has the right to do it. What Trump does doesn't change that. That rule will still be in place unless they want to go in there and change it. But Trump is not giving a future president the right to do anything. He's doing stuff that's already on the books. But some Democrats don't seem to understand that for whatever reason. So the Democrats came out and had a big, uh, a big hoedown. And here's Nancy Pelosi wrapping that thing up. But he has uh, gathered for it and so many of our members showing up even before we have votes on the floor of the House. Let me just say, Mr. Hoyer referenced going to the border. I, too, was at the border this weekend with Mr. Cuellar and, and uh, Laredo. And I tell you this for this reason. In Laredo each year, and I've been there three times now, they have the most beautiful celebration of Washington's birthday. They honor Washington, George, and Martha, both. And it's a multi-day observance of what our founding father and mother presented to our country. To see, 96% of Laredo was Hispanic. To see the pride of heritage and the deep patriotism side by side, just strengthening each other, is a joy that I wish the entire country could behold. The patriotism of the people who live at the border, which we consider a community with a border going through it. What the president is saying about the border is mythology. It is not reality. But this is not about the wall. Whatever you may think about the wall, think about the Constitution of the United States. And Mr. Uh, our colleagues have talked about believing that our members will do this. I know that they will. I know that our Republican colleagues care about the Constitution of the United States. I know that they believe in the separation of power. I know that they would not want a president, Republican or Democrat, to usurp the powers of the institution in which we serve. They're already there. 
Okay, uh, let me go back real quick, and we're about to wrap up the show. But I got to get this out there. She mentions she visited Laredo, which is in Texas, and it's on the border on the Mexican side, Mexico side. It's Nuevo Laredo. And they connect, and there's actually a border crossing there. And according to Nancy Pelosi, at the border in Laredo, Texas, they were having a multi-day celebration of George and Martha Washington. Or as she said, it's a, a George. Or no, she said, it's a celebration of Washington. George. Washington George. That the people on the other side were celebrating. Now keep in mind, the people on the other side aren't necessarily from Mexico. They're from Honduras and El Salvador and Guatemala and, and other Central American countries. They were celebrating a, a several-day celebration of George Washington. Such patriotism for this country that they're not even in yet. But if you look at any of the news that, that has ha been coming from Laredo, Texas, or Nuevo Laredo, Mexico lately, you will see that there wasn't a celebration necessarily, but more of a... Another caravan. Another caravan of migrants rushing the Texas border. Maybe she was just confused. And she thought all those people were running up to the border in large numbers were actually just celebrating George Washington. They tried to rush one of the international ports of entry from Nuevo Laredo into Laredo, Texas. And U.S. authorities and Border Patrol agents had to shut down the gateway. They had to put up concrete barriers and barbed wire, razor wire, to stop these people from bum-rushing the country, from invading the country. Yet Nancy Pelosi has the audacity to get out this morning and say that there was nothing going on there except for a celebration of George Washington. <laughs> These people are out of their mind. Democrats are lunatics, y'all. They're absolutely lunatic. But that's neither here nor there. Donald Trump in Vietnam now getting ready for the second summit with Kim Jong-un. It's going to be exciting to see that thing go down. We'll talk all about it tomorrow as well as plenty of other things on the next edition of Over the Line. Make sure you check out OverTheLineShow.com and send us an email for the new email segment coming up. Andrew at OverTheLineShow.com. Get that hooked up. Hope you have a fantastic day. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll do it all over again. We'll talk about socialism and Cal Farts and Ocasio-Cortez and how she does videos, talking about the planet's ending while her refrigerator runs in the background, spraying Freon everywhere, and plenty more. Until next time, see you, Cole.
Are you looking to get the word out and help grow your business? Hey, it's Andrew from Over the Line, the podcast. We are looking to partner with brand new business owners to help grow their business and get the word out to our listeners so we can link them up with the best businesses around. They spend their hard-earned money on these products, on these services, and we want to make sure we get them teamed up with the right people. If you're interested in teaming up with this podcast and letting people know about your business, contact me, Andrew, at OverTheLineShow.com. That's Andrew at OverTheLineShow.com.